0: I think it's really easy though to get there. I think it's really it's easier to arrive at the nice house, the nice car, the nice things like all the furniture, all the luxury items. It's actually easier to get there than it is to get to frugality for a lot of people because yeah. you're getting sold that your whole life, right? It's it's the American dream. It's it's yeah. the nice things. It's what you're supposed to do, right? Go to school, get a job, and then buy those things, right? Like that's literally what you're supposed to do. Welcome to the
1: On Fire Podcast, episode 22. With your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast,
2: we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. I'm really excited to be bringing you guys today's guest, Adam Martin. Adam's been a big part of my team. He's been spending a lot of time with myself over the last year. And what's really interesting about his story, in my opinion, is he took a leap of faith that many of us wouldn't. We would not even dare to consider doing And I think the key was he was focused on the most likely outcomes versus worrying about the worst case scenario. Far too often, we get way too caught up in our own headspace about what the worst case scenario is. And we let that hold us back from what could be otherwise a great opportunity. Yeah, I think people get scared. When
1: I first met Adam, he was swinging a hammer. He was just working really hard, and that's great. But at the time, he had a ton of debt, and he just wasn't working with the right people. He must have been surrounded by the wrong people, honestly. So he started working with the right people. He spent more time with you. He started working more intelligently instead of just working hard. And he went from renting and being in massive debt to now owning two properties, living for free in one of them. He's getting into Airbnb, renting out a room in his place, and he's even speaking at events.
2: Yeah, and so that kind of segues really well into today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is OREC 2019. If you guys aren't familiar with OREC, it's a real estate conference that myself and Jeff Weibo host here in London, Ontario. It's April 27th and 28th, 2019. You can find us on social media. Just Google OREC O R E C. Two zero one nine. you should be able to find us it's an amazing event it's just focused on real people giving real advice and sharing their real results and the cool thing about it is a lot of the people you've heard on this podcast are actually going to be there so i definitely recommend coming out matt and i'll be there as well yeah so for example kellen myself as well as michael rosehart dill mclaughlin adam martin graham stefan meet kevin the list goes on and on so if you want to meet these people in real life i think orex a great opportunity
1: yep but enough of that let's dive into the interview so welcome to the show, Adam. Yeah, thanks. Welcome, Adam.
2: thanks, Matt. Thanks,
1: Kellen. Can you give us just a brief summary of what the last years looked like for you? It's kind of been a big, big change for you.
0: Yeah, last year's been a total roller coaster. So it's really interesting today to be on the On Fire podcast talking about financial independence because 12 months ago I had no clue what that meant. So I started this year out in a limo with Matt McKeever and Jeff Weibo. And that was my first time kind of getting exposed to the fire community here in London. And at that point, I mean, I was sitting on this limo with a borrowed ticket. So it was a borrowed $60 to even get on this thing. And I probably had negative $60,000 in terms of student debt, consumer debt, and a bunch of other debt. And at that point, I was driving a pretty nice sports car. I was wearing, you know, I've got some nice watches on. And, you know, I'm wearing like a gold ring and stuff like that. And I really wasn't thinking about financial independence in any kind of way similar to what's going on here in London. So over the last year or the last 12 months, I've really been refocusing and kind of honing my skills and certainly listening more to the conversation about financial independence and the idea of leveraging some frugal tactics and methodologies to get there so
1: nice it's funny like you mentioned people like people who you know they have the nice car the nice watch all that stuff yeah. and then they don't have a lot of money and you'd think you know a lot of times when you see someone they have a really nice house they have a really nice car you think they must have a lot of money but it's quite opposite a lot of the time. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of money because they spent it all in the nice house and the nice
0: car. And it's like, it really requires some reframing, right? Yeah. And I think it's really easy, though, to get there. I think it's really it's easier to arrive at the nice house, the nice car, the nice things, like all the furniture, all the luxury items it's actually easier to get there than it is to get to frugality for a lot of people because yeah. you're getting sold that your whole life right it's it's the american dream it's it's yeah. the nice things it's what you're supposed to do right go to school get a job and then buy those things right like that's literally what you're supposed to do
2: yeah yeah exactly yeah and we've mentioned it before on the podcast but if you guys want that american dream bubble to be burst i recommend checking out dr stanley's book the millionaire next door yeah. where it goes in quite in depth into what actual millionaires look like versus what perceived millionaires look like. So yeah, often, I've never read
1: that and I totally need to, Yeah, but it's like the title alone describes it well. Cause you come yeah. out to some of like the London on fire meetups or like went up to mm. Vegas and stuff like that. And like, People are wearing like a sports jersey or like yeah. sweatpants and like they're multi millionaires. And then the people who are just starting out are the ones in like fancy
2: suits and like mm-hmm. whatever and absolutely. It's so interesting. Like I know I had some comments recently on my YouTube channel about that where people are jumping to conclusions about guest because he was in sweatpants and a sweater right. or a hoodie. And you know, judging a book by its cover I just is not a good long term plan. No.
0: Yeah. And I think I, I probably did that too when I first got here, right? Because I was being pointed by Jeff Waibo, who was in a really nice suit and everything, to this guy at the back of the bus who was just kind of wearing like a hoodie and jeans and stuff. And he was like, that's the guy you got to meet. <laughs> and little did I know that was the goat himself, Matt McKeever, <laughs> sitting in the back of this, this limo at the time. And, you know, we chatted and then I really started picking up on some of these breadcrumbs. And then, you know, eventually I started learning more about Matt and and see more about how Matt lives and it's like this frugal lifestyle that's very minimalistic and it's really allowing him to achieve financial independence way sooner and way, I wouldn't call it easier, but mm-hmm. simpler than a lot of other people. Yeah. And certainly if I'd stayed on that path, like I don't even know what number I would have had to achieve to yeah. hit financial independence. It, it, it would have been a lot higher.
2: Yeah. Let's kind of dive back into your backstory. What was your relationship with money before this year?
0: Yeah. So again, I think it's probably best to start at just saying that I arrived here with about, I think it was negative 60,000. And a lot of that looked like basically unconscientious spending, whether that be just like eating out a lot, obviously buying some of those more luxury goods. I didn't really concern myself too much with the actual total being spent but more rather the monthly payment allocated to that amount. And I know that's something you've kind of touched base before because it's really easy to see like, oh, I can probably afford that when you're looking at the finance rate or you're looking at the monthly payment associated with it. But then it's really easy to look past the actual total that's building up behind you. And it really doesn't take a whole lot to – end up at a sum that's far larger than you would imagine, right? You kind of eat the elephant one bite at a time, but then all of a sudden, like, if you reverse that, there's an elephant <laughs> that you're eating, right? And it is it becomes the elephant in the room, right? Like, it just builds yeah. up. So I'd say my relationship was fast and loose. I always knew how to make money, but I also knew how to spend it. And I really just got to this point where I could, you know, do high-velocity spending so that there was more a month left at the end of the month and there was money mm-hmm. right it was like holy smokes mm. like <laughs> that's how you burn money it, it's starting to make me think like you know guys
1: like guys like jeff weibo they were a big factor in terms of getting people's attention and ter- like hey look fancy houses the nice suit like and and like the nice car and like the limo and all that stuff and then you get on the limo and you start diving into dirty basements and like out yeah, how people are really making money but it makes it's, you think like how how do you get more attention from these people that like they're focused on the top dollar, right? They want to make the money. They don't want to they don't want to think about not spending money. They want to figure out how can I make more money? And like it's trying to grab their attention and then make them kind of reel them back in and be like, hey, like first of all, stop spending your money. That's one great way to have money. And the second way is
0: to is to earn more and like the two together, how you grow the gap. Yeah, exactly. And those are two factors that you obviously have control over, right? I mean, yeah, the key here is not to be the victim because it's really easy to spend the money. Like everybody wants to give you credit. Everybody wants to give you, you know, like right now you can go to Canadian Tire and buy anything you want for like 24 equal payments with zero interest or whatever, but yeah. you're still spending that $3,000 on whatever that item is, right? Yeah. Just because it costs you $60 a month, doesn't mean it's, it, it it's $60. No, that's really 3000. It's just pushed over time. Yeah.
1: It's funny how, how obvious that would seem like I've, ne- I've never looked at anything in terms of its monthly payment, but so many people, that's the first way they look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and especially like, I don't know, I kind of grew up reading a lot about personal development, professional development books and stuff like that. But it's really easy to forget all of those lessons really fast when you can just have that shiny toy. Right. Yeah. That, that new thing, that next thing. It's just so fast. And it's programmed like that's how these products are engineered. That's how the marketing works for these things. It's to make you feel good about buying them.
1: So in the last year or so, you've done more than just come in with debt. So what has the story been like over the last few months and stuff? Like, uh,
0: Yeah, so over the last year, again, taking a lot of lessons from guys like Matt McKeever. And I haven't actually read the book yet, which is horrible because I know it's Matt's Bible. But I'm always reminded of the early retirement extreme. I'm just trying to take baby steps towards getting there. I haven't, I read, I haven't read it fully either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit it. <laughs> I feel like when once I get to it, I'm going to be really upset with what I'm reading. (laughs) And so I'm trying to like take the edge off. I got about halfway through and I'm going to read it all. It was just, it
1: is a challenging read. And like, I'm definitely more of an audio learner. So I do a lot of audio books and there's no audio for this. So I'm just like, I definitely have to power through it, but definitely some undertones that are like, that, you know,
0: I can really resonate with
1: like the the Renaissance man and all that stuff. Like I love, I love that stuff.
0: But (laughs) so over the last year, I mean, I started working with Matt almost immediately after meeting him because you know, it was very clear to me that what I was doing wasn't going to allow me to achieve my goals. And I saw that the opportunity with Matt would allow me to do that faster, but also smarter. And so once I started working with Matt, we were talking a lot more about, you know, doing strategic projects and things that get you closer to your goal with a higher focus on conscientiousness, like you know, look at that bottom line, because before I was only looking at the top line. And so I started out doing some basic contracting for Matt. And that was really interesting. But my my overall goal was to get a property. So I wanted real estate. Yeah. And this whole year has kind of pushed me towards that ball. And I kind of started out getting closer to that goal by doing real estate wholesaling. So that was an interesting project where I looked for distressed properties and I would be sending out flyers and door knocking and really just walking through a lot of these properties and, and analyzing them for their potential for real estate investors. Yeah, And so that, that really allowed me to, to hone in on the skills that I would need to determine how much renovation costs or what I would do with my own property as it got closer to that goal. So I learned from Matt, you know, there's strategic renovations you want to do There's ways to get appliances and all of these other materials at lower costs. So you don't have to go and buy brand new everything. And like right away that even shocked me because I was thinking, you know, real estate, it should all be clean, durable. It should have a nice warranty, whatever. So I was imagining the real estate investor, like the rest of my life, goes out and buys brand new appliances. They buy brand new flooring. They buy brand new everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I started learning from Matt, like, No, why don't we check out Habitat for Humanity where you can get that $200 fridge that does the same job Yeah, because you're not going to get more money or more satisfaction or more utility from that fridge than like a $1,000 fridge from, you know, Leon's or something. So that whole kind of process brought me closer to not only buying my first property, but really starting to focus in on the importance of managing both the bottom and top line.
1: Yeah. Awesome. What was the process of wholesaling like for you? Like I was a grind for a little while there, right? And then you're probably still a little bit involved with it right now, but yeah, you were knocking on doors, sending out flyers. Like what were some of the lessons you'd learned there? <laughs>
0: yeah, well, we, we had a really unfortunate start time to when we started wholesaling and something to understand about wholesaling is like, maybe not everybody knows really what that is on this podcast, but what it is, is you're finding private real estate deals. So properties that are off the market typically And you're interacting with those homeowners or the sellers. And what you're trying to do is negotiate a price and a deal with them so that you can then take that offer and bring it to another investor. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. I mean, you've got to basically cold call a seller and ask them to sell their house at typically an undervalued price, right? Because that's how the wholesaler gets paid is a spread based on the sell price And then the assignment fee is how you get paid. Yeah. So what that looked like is we started in winter. And first of all, I had no idea how to do it. I wasn't exactly informed on all the aspects of real estate investment. So that kind of took a while to learn as well. But we were knocking doors in, I don't remember the months exactly, but. It would have started in March. Yeah. There was still snow flying. So that was kind of disturbing. Mm -hmm. I remember the first doors I knocked were just off Hamilton Road here in London. Yeah, I remember the snow was just blowing sideways, and I was knocking on doors, and it was really interesting. There's some funky stories that came out of that. I mean, I had one door answered by a lady of the night who (laughs) was not really wearing anything, and she was like, hello, and I was like, hi, looking to buy your house. Yeah, she a was, lot of funny things happen when you knock on a random door. Yeah, right? it's crazy. <laughs> but from there, I kind of learned the process of how to answer the calls, how to actually discover why somebody would sell their house right now in a private sale rather than taking on the market or the MLS. Yeah. And from there, we had a bit of success with it. I mean, we did a couple deals that profited us. There was one deal at 15000 And then right after that, it was another 15000 And then after that, I think we did a couple smaller deals that were definitely fractions of that. But I mean, it really it was a really great learning. Yeah, it realized, right? You're like, I can actually make money doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to just build upon
2: for those that are maybe hearing about wholesaling for the first time and wanting to get into it. It's a question I get asked quite a lot these days. And so a few things that I just like to provide for some guidance for people that are maybe thinking about getting into wholesaling is, one, I think the way Adam did it is a great way, if you're new to real estate, you can learn a lot about real estate through wholesaling, but ideally either build a network first or be able to map on to someone's existing network. Yeah. So by partnering with, say, an established investor and becoming essentially their in-house bird dog but or wholesaler or whatever you want to call it, I think that really allows you to speed up the process and kind of lets you just start learning very fast and furious where you can start making these offers and you have the money kind of backing you up to be able to count on it. And then the other thing with wholesaling, particularly if you're new to real estate investing, if you're new to wholesaling, is you always want to be able to have like an escape clause in the offer you're writing up. Again, we're not going to get super deep into this topic, but it's just, I know that based off of this podcast coming out, I'm going <laughs> to get, get excited. <laughs> a handful of those questions and I'm sure Adam's going to get similar. Yeah. Direct all those questions to Adam and uh, you can find him on Instagram. I think like the
1: big thing, you you really had an important point of having a team behind you because when you, if you were to knock on some of these doors and someone's like, okay, I'm willing to sell their house. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the next step? And yeah, you need to you have do? someone and to ask, okay, how, how do, do I write, write the, the offer? contract
2: yeah. and all that. And again, that's both a really big, scary thing. And it's actually quite simple if you take your time and read a legal contract. But that being said, It's just it's so much easier to confront that dragon of chaos if you got someone on your team that's done it before. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, wholesaling, like, you know, in
1: some ways it's a great, one great thing about it is you don't need money to get into wholesaling, but one challenging thing about it is you kind of need a lot of experience to get into wholesaling. Mm -hmm. So typically that's not going to be you alone. That's going to be you with a team. So if you want to get into wholesaling, you can either work with a team or you can maybe try and get the first house yourself, you know, for yourself, start house hacking, and then kind of learn about the process of buying real estate, get comfortable, get familiar with the market understand how to start learning how to write offers and that kind of thing and then eventually maybe you'll come across a deal
2: you don't want and you can start learning how to pass that deal along to someone else so talking about the way fire became palatable for you adam was it that you simply had this main goal of getting a house and that that was the highest priority and whatever was necessary was going to make fire okay to you or was it like seeing our community that brought you into it like i don't know what was actually the The kind of the tipping point?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think originally it would have been the first situation you just described there where it was like, you know, anything would have done it to get to fire. But then what actually happened was exposure. So the more these people in the fire community that I started meeting, the more I saw their habits, I saw what they were doing, I saw how they managed and thought of money, the more I understood that that was actually the far better path to take. So, I mean, between meeting yourself, Kellen, Mike Rosehart, a lot of these guys that are very focused on how to strategically manage your finances. I think that is what really made the biggest difference to me. It's funny, like sometimes people can describe something to you. It can make
1: a lot of sense. But until you see someone doing it and you see them having success doing it, all of a sudden it now becomes a good strategy. And like it can be applied to anything. It can be applied to life philosophy as you're like. I think that's ridiculous, but then people you know and respect start adopting that philosophy, and all of a sudden,
2: that idea is a little less crazy. It it grounds it in reality. That's what it really does for me, and I know I'm the exact same way. You can hear someone talk about something for forever, and the moment you see it, it, that combination of reality and the information coming together just really solidifies calcifies yeah
0: it's very interesting and i think i had a big disadvantage too because i'm a huge grant cardone fan and his (laughs) big focus is 10x everything right which includes your spending that includes your but he's talking about investment in yourself and and spending on assets right but typically he's only focused on the top line. Like if you need more money, do more sales or do more money making. He's not really focused at all on the bottom line. And I think it took me a while to get there, but seeing so many people being so successful with it, that was key. I mean, you need that. You need to see it happen. And it's especially important early on when you have debt or when you're
1: like, when you're just trying to get the snowball rolling, like that's when that's when the spending actually matters a lot. It's mm-hmm. it tends to matter a whole lot less. I've noticed a shift in perspective with Matt yeah. myself, Dylan, everyone else involved. We tend to be spending a little bit more now, but it's because we've built up passive income. We've started to understand that like we have the option to earn more money when we can, but like yeah. early on, it's so important to start that snowball rolling.
0: Yeah.
2: Especially when like your earning power is just not there, right? Like yes. it really comes with perspective, but when you're working for minimum wage, you know, spending like you're making 50000 a year is much more of an impact than if you're yeah. making six figures and spending. You almost, you need to humble yourself, right? Yeah. It's like,
1: you're in a position of debt. You should not be spending more money, mm-hmm. right? You should be saving. You should
2: be stop not stop going into debt, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Well, Mr. Money Mustache talks about like your hair on fire, right? From oh. debt. That like, debt is such an important thing. It's like your hair's on fire. Right. What would you do? You yeah. put that out first. Like That's, I love that. You don't think about anything else. I've never heard of that. You the, immediately put that out. That's, so that's a <clears> great <throat> way to talk about it. I don't know if you want to switch gears at all to social media. So yeah, I thought it would be kind of fun to just chat about even your relationship with social media and what that's actually done to your fire plan and your ability to invest.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean social media for me was 12 months ago I certainly started out with social media I think probably how a lot of people view social media is a consumable good where you go onto it and you see what everybody else is doing and you just kind of, again, that plays right. I need to reel this back because social media does this same thing to you that all the marketing's doing, right? You see, it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? You see somebody get the new car, you see them with the watch, you see all of these things that look very romantic Towards getting those things that you're supposed to have in life, right? So you're supposed to look like these people on Instagram, or do these really interesting things that people are doing on Facebook and, and all that. So I think my relationship with social media was certainly as a consumer. And I think that's changed quite a lot. I think understanding the dynamics
1: behind social media are also really interesting because we, we see these people, we, we see that these products and these services and we think, oh, I want these things. I see other people buying them. You start keeping up with Instagram instead of keeping up with your neighbors, right? Yeah. and. We can then take that, and, and it's powerful, right? And yeah. we can use it for marketing our own <laughs> things, right? If you can generate a sense of FOMO, fear of missing out, with your own products and services, that's the way to market things, right? And, yeah. and it works. like it and really, I've had an effect effect on me to the point where I start needing to embrace the opposite philosophy.
0: Yeah, and I think now social media for me is largely a tool because that's exactly what we're doing. We're using it to market not only what I'm doing as a lifestyle, so promoting kind of financial independence and promoting real estate investment and promoting personal branding, but we're really leveraging it to market some of these great informational products to other people that can really help them transition into kind of where I'm starting to get now, which is taking a much more conscientious approach to my money and and really starting to build that financial independence out. And I think part of your question there was, what has it done to my ability to invest While this year on social media, I was actually able to acquire my second property as a joint venture by simply making an Instagram story. So I literally made a story post on Instagram that was just a selfie mode of me looking at the camera and I said, who wants to be part of this property? And right then and there, I asked the world, I asked social media for $80,000 and I had it within a week. Yeah.
2: And so so something important to build upon, I think... For lots of new real estate investors, the networking's intimidating for, you know, they wonder how are they ever going to attract money? How are they ever going to find a joint venture partner? I think social media, particularly for those of you that are introverted, is a great way to break that ice. You can start documenting what you're up to. Even if you don't have a property at the start, start documenting what you're learning, right? Start documenting like, oh man, just listen to this fire episode of uh, Bigger Pockets, episode 327 where they talk about this investing strategy and then like a day later show that then you read that blog about the same investing strategy and start building up that narrative. Yeah. And so one thing I just want to kind of frame for people is it's not that literally Adam didn't do social media for eight months, then asked, and got 80 grand. It's that he was doing social media for eight months. Building a Repu- reputation. Yeah. Associating himself with different people yeah. that are successful. And documenting what he's learning. Documenting what he's exploring. And documenting the opportunities. And again, that probably wasn't the actual first opportunity you would have revealed on social media. So a lot of it's about building up that narrative. Building up that story for people and so giving, can, right? Yeah. Giving along the way, like trying to provide. You're value. are sharing information. Exactly, give, give, give
1: as often as possible, and then eventually maybe you'll have an ask. And you know, in this case, you had your ask. You wanted to buy a property. You had debt. You had no job, but you wanted to buy a property anyway, right? And
2: like you had your ask. You had the deal, and you had built the reputation. And the thing is, this is not charity either. It's not like someone just like gave you eighty thousand right. dollars. It's they made an investment. They gave you a loan. And they're going to earn a good return off of that loan. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think something before we get any further into this conversation, I think something really important to mention at this point is that you're going to get a ton of pushback the minute you start doing social media the way that Matt and I are doing it right now and that Kellen started doing it recently, and I love it. But when you're really documenting what you're doing with life and you're documenting this journey to financial independence, you're going to get pushback from a lot of those people, those naysayers is what Grant Cardone likes to call them, who are close to you. It'll be your friends, your family, people around you that you're not really expecting, but they will give you pushback. I mean, why are you posting every day about this stuff? Like they want to see the American dream. And what you have to realize is that they're kind of stuck in it. They want to be sold. And so a big part of getting over that is just being consistent with it and also probably, and this is the hardest thing to do, is change the people who are around you. And that was a big, 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 big thing for me to do is really just changing those five people that I spend the most time with. Because now every morning when I wake up, I'm surrounded by millionaires, really. But these are guys that are thinking about how to spend their money, how to invest their money. And they're really being conscious about who they keep around them and the media that they consume. So I think that's a really big deal when we're talking about this. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of the pushback. It's a good sign. It means you're growing. But you also probably do need to consider who you're having around you and what kind of influence they have on your habits. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's people in my life still that that I'll hang around with that like don't necessarily have similar goals to me and that kind of thing, and I mean, just not even necessarily consciously, but subconsciously, I find myself spending less time with them. Yes, and it's only because they're not pushing me to be a better version of myself, right? I have fun with them for the night or for the evening or whatever, and then and then I kind of go back to my life and I, I want more out of life, right? But if you can kind of like blur those lines and kind of spend time with people that are also working on improving themselves and that becomes your new form of fun. I mean, Matt has like taken that to an extreme where like <laughs> that's his life now is like, you know, it's, it seems at least for, mm-hmm. from an outsider's perspective is, you know, working and fun are, are one and the same. And I think there's a ton of value in that. I mean, it could probably get confusing at times, but I mean, who who is it confused, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the goal of all of this is like, really, the goal of all this is to figure out what it is we want from life. And like, I don't know anyone who's, I've, I know very few people who have really figured that out, who really figured out their why and their what, like what it is exactly they want from life. Not just I want $100,000 a year in passive income or I want, You know, maybe I want to move to Costa
2: Rica and things like that. I mean, those are real tangible goals, but like, really, what's it all for? And like, yeah, I 100% agree. I've been kind of feeling recently a little drift again. And so I started re listening to Simon Sink start with why. Okay. And so, yeah, it's just so important. I think so few people are really conscious of the path they're choosing right a lot yeah. of people just find themselves on that default path and it, it reels it back to episode one
1: of Mike gross what is when is enough right mm. i mean it's so much more than what is enough or when is enough because i mean it's not just about building money right it's like that's one aspect what is enough like well i mean when you have enough money that's enough and then what else is there is really the question right like yeah
2: and so just to close the loop on social media before we move on yeah. from social media but I just kind of know because I work with Adam a fair bit these days, I can think of two specific stories that you've shared with me about experiences you had on social media. And so like one, when you first started trying to really embrace it, you know, old friends from like your hometown kind of chirping you being like, why are you doing this? Just kind of making fun of you. But then the exact same thing, but completely opposite is someone reaching out to you being like, man, I've completely changed what I'm doing with my life. You know, I'm getting up earlier. I'm more engaged with my business. I'm going to like take responsibility for my life. You know, I'm focused on an internal locus of control now rather than external. And so you just, it's really important with social media. Like don't let the first feedback you get be the only feedback you get, I guess is what I'm saying. Like really spend some time with it and then like filter through the responses you're getting. Because I like, I remember when you got that meaningful message, like it really meant a lot to you and it was great to, see that even just from an outsider.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that was amazing. Like that really made it all worth it. And it was cool because it came from someone that I went to high school with that we actually didn't even really get along at that point in life. But I mean, social media is one of those cool things where you could be anywhere in the world and still connect with these people. And it turned out that he had been following my story. He'd been following what I was sharing for like six months and didn't say anything. And so when you're hearing that initial noise, that pushback, there's still those people out there that are listening. There's those people that care. There's people that are getting a lot out of what you're sharing and they're just kind of silent watchers. I think that's yeah, what I the call it. Silent them. majority. And man, do they ever pop up out of nowhere? Yeah, and they they keep, really do. Like right now, my Instagram, it, it gets several DMs every day from people saying that message now. And like, yeah. it, it's, it really doesn't mean less to me now than it did then. Like I really appreciate it when people reach out and they're thanking and they're they're really thankful that people are out there and sharing information with them because I think they're probably still in that bit of a trap where all of their friends are – more than happy to just work for the weekend and then go out and party and forget about why they made their money or anything. So it's like, even, even this
1: podcast for Matt and I, right. We don't get, this isn't YouTube where you're getting comments. This isn't Mm -hmm. like, you're not getting likes and comments and and like maybe some subscribers, but it's all in the back end. It's all very blurry. It's really hard to understand the impact of something like this podcast. But when you go out to meetups or you fly out to Vegas and you talk to people and they're like, I've heard every episode and they're the, the, like you said, the silent majority, Mm -hmm. it, it, it reminds you of why you're doing it because we're not making money on it. I mean, like <laughs> it's it's just time and like we're meeting with cool people and like having a blast with it. But I mean, it really reminds you of why you're doing it. So I mean, for any listeners, if we end up seeing you, like keep reminding us because it gives us a good reason to keep doing we it, really right? We do appreciate it. Yeah.
2: And so we actually haven't even finished really what we started off this episode with, which is what this last year's looked like. So right now, like Just describe for people what your living situation is, like lay it out for them.
0: Oh, yeah. So this is great. I think this is kind of my biggest step or my leap towards fire. Most people run away from fires. I just jumped right into (laughs) it. So this year I was actually able to buy two, two properties so far. But my first one... This this was absolutely amazing. So, I found a real estate strategy that allowed me to buy a property without necessarily having to qualify for a mortgage, and that was called a vendor takeback. And so the vendor takeback actually allowed me to get into this first property. And from all of the guys around me and and ladies of real estate, but I'd, I'd learned that there's this really interesting tactic that you can use to kind of achieve fire a lot faster than you'd like to think. Because a lot of you, and when you think to your personal finances, think about how much your cost of living is. The fraction of that, that is your house. That's your your actual accommodations, like your living situation. And so I bought this house with my girlfriend And immediately we did the strategic renovations that Matt's always talking about on his channel. And I think Kellen's pretty much all about that too now. (laughs) I just copy Matt. (laughs) It's a good strategy. It tends to work. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, we got right in there. We did those strategic renovations. And then we immediately had the other rooms listed on Kijiji. So it's a five bed, two bath, semi-detached house. And for my girlfriend and I, that's like, a ton of space. It's like 2000 square feet. I don't know what to do with all that space. So we went right for what we call house hacking. So what we did is we bought the house and then listed it actually while it was under renovations and had so much demand for it. So for rental, for rental. Yeah. Cause we bought near Fanshawe college here in London. So we actually had a whole bunch of demand and that was really interesting. Like I was you know, I was pleasantly surprised because we're not right beside the school, but we're close enough. And right away, we actually ended up renting out the house for a lot more than what it costs to live there. So I think my rent right there is $2,250 a month. And my mortgage is only 1250 nice. So once you put in you know, your utilities and all these other costs of ownership, I still end up making about $400 a month. And the best part is I live for free. So we actually moved from an apartment that was... I think 1100 and change at the start of the year that we were renting. And so that whole $1,100 just disappears at the first of the month. Like that just goes to the landlord. But what we're doing now is we pay that $1,250 as a mortgage, but just over half of that, so about $600 of that every month is actually a forced savings for me. It's going right towards principal pay down. And then from the rest of it, the rest of that portion gets covered by my renters. Yeah. So now I don't pay $1,100. I'm actually making in cash $400. I don't, like, again, I don't pay at all to live there. And I get the benefit of that equity building up in the form of principal pay down, which I'm not going to work for.
2: Yeah. So to summarize, literally by choosing to house hack and live with roommates, you've gone from spending 1100 to essentially making $1,000. So in context, people, this is a $2,000 swing per month yeah. in your living expenses. Think about, you know, a lot of people could live off a of $2,000. A lot a month. of people make that So that, that, <laughs> that swing could be enough right there to fire you. Yeah. And that's something really powerful to be aware of that I think, again, just far too often people don't sit down and actually – honestly look at the numbers and look at the situation to figure out what's possible.
1: I mean a lot of people might think oh, I don't want to I don't want to do this, I don't want to live with roommates, that kind of thing. And you don't need to do this forever. It just remember that like this is the early part of the snowball, right? This is the time when you need to really reel your finances in, start building up that snowball, start mm-hmm. s- reducing your spending, increasing your savings, and like really start putting money away and start maybe buying rental properties or mm-hmm. putting it toward an index funds or whatever it is you're doing. But it's the early on. This is the time to do it. And like you got to live with some roommates for a few years. It's not a huge deal if it means you can save like tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars that you wouldn't have been able to save otherwise.
2: Yeah. Like I think is it Dave Ramsey live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Yeah, And that's that's exactly what the fire community is all about. So right now, Adam, do you have a fire number? Do you have a goal? Yeah. Do you have a job? (laughs)
0: so that's kind of an interesting question (laughs) yeah let's reel that even back just a little bit too so I think for this whole year really I would say that I didn't have a job Mm -hmm. I got this first property and even the second property without having a job per se and I think recently now I've got a job yeah I don't know you'd have to ask Matt about that but I don't know if I have a job or not but I think on paper it's pretty it's pretty scary but yeah my fire number I think my monthly expenses. I probably should have thought of that before coming here, but my, a lot of people don't. <laughs> yeah, my monthly expenses probably look something like twenty four hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. and I mean, if I had had that eleven $1, hundred dollar expense, still, that would have been a lot higher, right? That's like fifty percent more. Yeah. yeah, and I think I'll. I think I am pretty much there now. I mean now that I'm I'm doing quite a lot of work for Matt so that I basically have a full-time job with Matt now but it's not I don't know I don't so, even know how to describe this <laughs> well so t- <laughs> 2400 a month that's about Let's
1: say twenty eight thousand. Let's say thirty thousand a year. So with a four percent safe withdrawal rate, that means seven hundred fifty thousand would be your goal. If the point, if the purpose is to take that money, put it into index
2: funds, and, yeah. with, and safely withdraw four percent a year. And so, alternatively, kind of what you've done is you took that eighty thousand from Instagram, yeah, bought this Windsor investment property, which currently you're still renovating, but. The long-term goal is once that's up and running, what's that supposed to look
0: like? Yeah, so the gross rents on that building should be just over 8500, so we're expecting a net cash flow somewhere around $4000 a month. Now that's split with the partners, so that will look more like $2000 for me, a $2000 benefit. And as soon as that building is refinanced, I no longer have to service that debt for the 80,000. Mm-hmm. So you know, right there, that'll be 2000 a month. And then if my building's paying me 400 right now in cash flow, right there, I'm at my 2400 $2, Yeah, And then I have my monthly income from my active work. So yeah. I think to me, what Adam's doing right now is really the
2: embodiment of firepreneurship, right? You kind of, you get that base level, you get that fortress of <laughs> solitude, as they talk about in the movie, The Gambler. You get that position of strength, and then you can take these interesting risks. You can then still actively choose to be conscious of your consumption and buy the nice watches or whatever that looks like. But it's just it becomes a much more conscious choice at that point. And maybe you're only spending your active income at that point, mm-hmm. And you think, hey, if
1: I if it turns out I lose all my active income, I lose Matt decides to say I don't want to work with you anymore.
0: You can you still got your passive income, right? Like you can use that twenty four hundred mm-hmm. a month to live off of. Yeah. And, you know, I'm planning to acquire a few more buildings in the same style that I got the first and second. So really by using other people's money and and not really any of my own. So mm-hmm. I've been I've had a lot of success with that and that was a lot due to networking but that is something i joke with matt all the time about is like you know if i wake up one day and matt's gone to belize because he doesn't want to live in canada anymore <laughs> it's too cold and it's too expensive like i will be covered i'll be set for for life really and i can continue using these strategies to build up on that passive income that realistically shouldn't really go anywhere mm-hmm. like it's probably going to be there and fairly safe for the rest of my life so yeah yeah
2: have you guys read the book Set for Life, by the way? It's like, on
0: my list of things, yeah. but I'd be shocked if a
2: lot of it just wouldn't inherently ring true, yes, but yeah. I've heard amazing things. Yeah,
1: one of the, Bigger I had Pockets. his name, I had his name, Scott Trench. Scott Trench, yeah, yeah, one of the hosts of the Bigger Pockets
2: podcast and stuff like that. Yeah, I definitely need to read that book. You might want to as well. I should probably uh, read that book. Yeah, <laughs> so essentially, in summary, before we move on, within a year, Adam's been able to go from essentially having to work in order just to services debts to being essentially once this property is renovated up and running and meeting projections to being, you know, financially independent or extremely close to it. I think that's really powerful. Now it's an unusual story because it took unusual effort and commitment, but it really, to me, just highlights what is possible if you decide that like that fire is going to become your number one goal.
0: I think, yeah, that's the big part. If you make it your actual big goal and that's what you focus on every single day and you make decisions based off that goal and not anything else. Like ultimately I worked for Matt basically for free for about a year where we were making those wholesale deals, yeah, yeah, for sustenance, right? Where it was like, okay, I need this to survive, <laughs> but like, I knew that what I was doing would move me closer to that goal, and so I was making the right decisions, building the right networks, building the right connections, and and learning the right information that I knew would get me closer to there, and. I think if you can truly commit like that, you can achieve anything you want. You can achieve that FIRE number. You can.
1: It's neat too, because it's very different from the typical FIRE number where you build up the 4% safe withdrawal rate where you need a massive net worth or fa- mm-hmm. you know fairly significant net worth. But when you can do it with real estate leveraged and with loans and that kind of thing, you can actually build up similar amount of passive income to that 4% safe withdrawal rate without having to build up
2: that crazy high net worth.
1: Yeah. And you can still have the opportunity to take on firepreneurship.
2: Yeah. And so again, one last thing, and then we'll move on to the fire for but again i just want to highlight adam moved too so like he was willing <laughs> yeah. to you know find a lower cost living area he that's was willing a big to point. move for a job opportunity or like an entrepreneurship opportunity or whatever you want to call so it many people i'd like love people to do wants, that right and so there's yeah. so many people that are like great story bro but try and do it in vancouver yeah and it's like no come here <laughs> instead that seems way easier than <laughs> yeah figuring out a strategy in vancouver like if you're willing to move to a lower cost area or at least invest in a lower cost area. Yeah. That's where a lot of the opportunities are. So there are trade-offs here, but again, if you decide that fire is kind of that big, big hairy
0: goal, that's what you (laughs) want to achieve. So diving in or yeah, Yeah, just one more touch. Like it's really just about commitment. And I think Helen touched on it briefly and we'll move right along after this, but I want to mention this too. Like even the house hacking, it looks scary. It sounds scary, but if you're not thinking about that being scary, you're thinking about fire, It just doesn't matter guys like that, that $2,000 swing in my required amount to get to fire doesn't matter. Like it makes the dishes that pile up. It makes the (sighs) noise at 3am. It makes the, all those silly things like they just simply don't really matter once you see that you're actually moving so much closer to that goal. And I mean, for me, that was 50% closer. Yeah. yeah. So am I willing to take on 10% annoyance for a 50% increase in my goal? Like, yes, absolutely. It, it, those things don't matter all of a sudden and you can make those decisions. And that's with
1: like the student rental type thing and mm-hmm. like, versus like a duplex where you don't even have to live with the same person. It's literally maybe some footsteps occasionally. Yeah. Like, is that worth the, the springboard to your mm-hmm. finance? Yeah.
0: Like? yeah, I'm doing the most extreme version where I've got it's a student rental, really. And now I'm actually even doing an Airbnb room. So I think I can boost my cash flow up in that building even more still. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like you, you just have to live with other people, but it just, guys, it doesn't matter. Commit, yeah. get there, it'll be worth it. <laughs> yeah,
2: 100%. So let's dive into the fire for, even though I did want to go on another tangent, we <laughs> won't. So
0: what's one thing
2: that you're grateful for?
0: I think I'm most grateful for the opportunity that I've found here in London. I think I'm most grateful for the network. So I've never really encountered such a strong network that was so willing to share and so abundance-oriented to share their information and strategies and really help empower people. And I think that that is so key. That's been so important to my journey this year. And I think this year has been worth many years (laughs) of experience and time and And emotions for me. I mean, I've just literally exponentially grown to a point that I don't think would have been very possible if I hadn't changed my environment, changed the people around me, changed the media I was consuming and the people I was talking to and and associating with. So I think that's what I'm most grateful for. Awesome. What's a guilty pleasure or a tool or something in your life you just can't live without? (laughs) So this kind of changes around a little bit. I am a sucker for more luxury item goods, And I'll explain this because I know I'm going to get pushback here. But I have a pair of Ray-Ban Clubmaster aluminum frame sunglasses. Mm. And these bad boys are incredible. They do happen to be something like $400. (laughs) (laughs) Saying that on this podcast is too funny. Yeah. But they're. A pair of sunglasses that I bought because I always had these cheap throwaway glasses. And this is something that keeps coming up in my life is buying quality. Buy it for life. Buy it for life, right? And so this pair of sunglasses, I was going through like five, six pair of throwaway glasses every year. And, you know, you leave them around, you sit on them, you wear them to the beach and like just kind of do ridiculous stuff with them. And then I finally just sucked it up, bought the sunglasses, had that massive outlay probably put them on credit. But I, you know, since then, I think I only dropped them two or three times in the whole time I had them. And I went from six pairs a a year of like $20 sunglasses to owning those for, I think, seven years. And recently I lost them. (laughs) No, they they were stolen out of my truck. But, you know, I think that's my guilty pleasure is, is just in general. I like really high quality items that are going to last. I'm not a huge fan of kind of the Walmart substitute or something. Like if I can buy something that's really nice, I know it's going to last. That's what I want to get into. Awesome. So
2: on the complete flip side of the coin, is there a frugality tip or life hack that
0: you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah. I mean, I think we already touched base on this quite a bit now, but I think that house hacking is honestly my favorite life hack to promote. I think that we've all got really sucked into this idea that you need the big house You need these, you know, these really consumer oriented things and you need to just kind of immerse yourself in that. And I think that house hacking, and again, you don't need to do it the way I'm doing it. You don't need to be in a student rental or have an Airbnb running out of it, which are all very active investments. But I mean, do you really need that 3000 square foot mansion? If you're at that point in your life where that's financially viable for you and it just doesn't matter, sure, do whatever you want. But I think getting started, that's probably one of the best life hacks is get the house, start getting that equity and house hack it. I mean, get people going to work for you. Right now, there's five people that go to work for me every single day so that they can pay for my house. And I think that that's a really powerful thing.
1: Awesome. So what would the hero of your own movie do in your life right now? Oh, my God. <laughs> they did not prep me for this, guys. The hero. We don't like prepping people of for your that. own
0: movie. Oh, boy. We like getting them feeling inspired first. <laughs> I need an editor for this one. No. <laughs> no. I think the hero in my movie right now so like oh, it's a it's a hard question Is there but, something you're avoiding or something you should
2: do that you know that just
1: like, like if you were an outsider watching your life right now you'd be rooting for yourself to do what like what's something that you're like i know i should do that but like you know i'm just i'm really having trouble making that decision
0: yeah i think you just probably i think you'd double down on everything right it's like really doubling down on activity levels really getting back into not back into, but I I think for quite a long time there, I was like doing absolutely everything all the time at a really high production rate. And I think that doing that again would be really great. Like I know when I first got that DM from the guy from my hometown, he was really stoked about what I was doing. You know, every morning at that point, I was getting up at like 5 a.m. and beating the sun up and really crushing it and going to the gym every day and just doing a more holistic approach where lately I think I have been, pretty immersed in simply just working, but I think there you can get more out of yourself if you pay attention to the rest of life as well.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks for being a guest on the show, Adam. And before we wrap things up, we always like to ask our guests to ask our audience a question. So what's something that you would like to ask of them? And so in the past, you know, Graham Steffens asked them just to smash the like button like a tired, asked, what's enough?" Other people have asked, you know, what's, "What's your dream
0: vacation or your dream retirement destination?" Yeah, I, I think the question I would ask of, of you guys listening is, do you need to spend and live the way you are right now? Are the things that you're spending money on, the things that you're really voting with with your dollars, do those actually matter and bring you closer to your goals? Like are you focused? on exactly what it is that you need to achieve to get those goals so i think really what my question is are you spending like i was 12 months ago
2: Hmm.
0: i hope not (laughs) so uh where can people find you or get in touch with you yeah i think the best way to connect with me is on instagram right now or facebook so on facebook i'm adam j martin on instagram i'm adam jd martin you thought let's just make it a little difficult for people well, actually, the J, there's a lot of Adam JR Martins. J.R.R. Martin. There, there's, a lot, there's a lot of Adam Martins out there, but Adam J. So my full name's Adam Jeffrey David Martin, if anybody wants to really. My sin number is. Yeah, you can take all that debt. Um, no, so Instagram, Adam J.D. Martin. Facebook, Adam J. Martin. You guys can reach out to me at any time. I'll always make time for you guys. I'd love to answer your questions. If you guys have questions about fire, how I did it. I'm 24 years old. For those of you who aren't getting the visual right now, I'm pretty young. So if you're young, you're out there, you're wondering how to do it. Or even better, if you're older and you're not really sure where to get started, reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again.
2: Thanks, guys. That was a great episode. I know Adam really well, and I just love his work ethic and his dedication to continuously learning and continuously improving. And like so many of our previous guests, I just I can't wait to see where Adam's going to be in five years. And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London On Fire community and follow us on Instagram, at OnFirePodcast. And make sure to tune in to the next On Fire podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. And if you had time to listen to this entire episode, you have time to leave us a review. If you got value from this episode, a five-star rating would absolutely make our day. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember being normal. Buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what this unknown contributor said. Actions prove who someone is. Words just prove who they want to be.